I'm honored for all of you who are meeting with us online and worshiping Jesus with us. My name is Matt Adair. I'm the pastor of spiritual formation here. I'd love for you to come with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, as Jesus invites us to practice remembering through this particular biblical text as we enjoy communion later together on this Palm Sunday. Uh, by the way, uh, if you came in, you snuck in through a side door and you didn't grab uh, this little vial here, this is gonna help you later as we practice communion. So uh, don't hesitate, don't feel bad, don't think twice about slipping out into the lobby and grabbing one of these. This will come in handy later. We heard the story of crowds of people welcoming Jesus as he rides into Jerusalem. They're welcoming a king, waiting for him to be crowned. I'm struck by this moment of improvisational theater, Jesus taking a moment out of God's story from the prophet Zechariah, riding into town on a donkey like King David the Great. Crowds of people shouting, Hoshana, Hosanna, waving palm branches. During the spring festival of Passover, when traditionally hosannas and palm branches were reserved for the fall festival of Sukkot, it, it would kind of be like this. Some of you know how Target works. I know that Easter is next Sunday, but I'm pretty sure that Target already has stuff out for the 4th of July. You're late on Easter, so you didn't know that, you go to Target, you go to grab stuff for Easter, realize it's all gone, so you go home and you decide, well, I guess this year we're just going to celebrate Easter by decorating a Christmas tree. That's the palm branches. That's the hosannas. It's improv. And we're caught up in it. Palm Sunday, this day that begins with us remembering Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, is the starting point of the largest worldwide spiritual practice that we know as Holy Week. Holy Week will be practiced by millions of men, women, boys, and girls all around the world, Protestants, Catholics. As we remember the last days of Jesus on earth all the way up through his crucifixion and his resurrection. If you follow our church on Instagram, you'll see all throughout this week that different members of our staff are just going to be leading you through just a kind of a minute-long reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, yes? And then we'll come back next weekend on Good Friday and Easter, and we'll worship together. This room will be filled. We'll meet a lot of times. It's my first Good Friday and Easter here, so I have no idea what's about to happen. Just sounds like it's going to be big. Sounds like it's going to be a party. You should be there. I hope you're coming. But right here and right now in this moment, I'd love for us to step into Holy Week by praying together, by practicing this reminder of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. I like to pray with you and for you. I like to pray words that millions of people around the world are going to be praying today in different languages, in different parts of the world. So I'd remind you that we are here because we're gathered around Jesus. And so as we gather around Jesus, why don't we lean into him as we pray? Almighty and everlasting God, in your tender love for us, 
You sent your son, our Savior, King Jesus, to take on our nature and to suffer death on a cross. And here and now, we lean on your mercy and ask that you might give us what we need to share in our Savior's suffering and to experience the fullness of his resurrection, even now in this place, in this moment. We pray through King Jesus, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit rules and reigns both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 5. Now, one of the things that I think we all know but sometimes might forget is that every sermon here at Fellowship is someone's first sermon here at Fellowship. So let me catch you up on where we've been since last fall. This letter we call Ephesians is 2,000 years old. It's a reminder that God has won a decisive victory over the dark powers of sin and death, and that he has established his church as an intercultural and intergenerational monument to that victory. This is fantastic news. We have been freed, and we have been given a role to play in God's story. That victory, however, God's triumph, looks different than we might expect. As we make our way through the letter, we're reminded that both in the story of Jesus and the example of Paul, that God's victory, his triumph, is experienced and lived in us and through us so often through humiliation and suffering and weakness and loss. Jesus wins by losing. That's the message of the cross. Yes, right? And, and y'all, that, that's how we win also. Our battle, day in and day out, is to resist the corrupting forces of sin and death, replacing corrupted habits with new ways of living that both draw on and radiate the resurrection power of God himself. The church imitates Jesus as we become like Jesus. We make our way through the world wherever you and I go individually and as we gather and go collectively. We are a, a non-coercive, non-threatening, non-anxious presence, extending the loving, empowering presence of God into the world, moment by moment, day by day, person by person, as light pushes away the darkness. That's where we left the conversation off last week. I want to pick up the conversation this week in verse 15. I'm going to read through verse 21. And as we listen, again, we're here because Jesus has invited us here. He's invited us to worship him, yes, but we worship him. We glorify him primarily by receiving and listening. So it gives us a posture of curiosity. What is God up to? What does Jesus want to say to you and to me? And to us. Let's listen and find out. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder, as you're listening, um, what you hear. Maybe as you're listening, as you're looking, there's a word or a phrase that kind of jumps out to you, grabs your attention. What I'm hearing and what I want to share with you is an invitation to remember. We're going to practice communion. And in practicing communion and receiving the Lord's Supper, we are remembering We are remembering something that happened definitively in the past that shapes our life both for today and tomorrow. As I sit with this letter, I wonder what Paul wants these people to remember. I I think about Paul writing from prison, and I wonder if he isn't writing to a group of people that he loves and cares about needing to remind them of something that they seem to have forgotten because if Paul is in prison, then what might happen to them? What might they be holding back? What might they be hesitating to lean into and to do in the name of Jesus? What does he want them to remember? What does Jesus want us to remember? Now, for what it's worth, in these verses, I see three reminders that I'd like to share with you. The first is this. Actually, let me go through all three of them, and then we'll kind of dive into each of them individually. When I'm looking at this text, what I see are reminders for us to take risks, to remember what's available, and to remember where the Spirit shows up. Y'all, let's remember to take risks. When I look at verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5, What I see is the summary for what we have just been through in what we see as chapters 4 and 5. Chapters 4 and 5 lead us to this point where we can say this. Because God has won a decisive victory over sin and death. And because God has given us as his church a role to play, we are a walking, breathing monument to his victory over sin and death. This intercultural, intergenerational community that's Fellowship Bible Church. Because of Jesus, because of what he's done, because of who we are, we can and should take courageous, improvisational risks for the sake of God and other people. That's what I see here. When it says in verse 15 to look carefully, when you and I look carefully at the world around us, do we not see a beautiful world created by God that is broken and needs to be made better than brand new? And if that's the case, if that's what we see, then what should we do? How should we live? Well, you look at this text and it says that we should live wisely. That we should make the best use of the time. Now, what does that mean? Well, first off, let's talk about the problem. Even though we believe, and this is what we celebrate and will shout about on Easter Sunday, that evil has been defeated, evil has not yet given up. Evil has corrupted and distorted time itself. 
So we think about today and we may not rightly think about tomorrow. We may push things into tomorrow. Maybe you've heard people say like this and we see a world that is broken and riddled with poverty. Don't we hear and sometimes grab verses from the Bible that make it sound like, do we need to do anything about poverty today because won't the poor always be with us? Or it's not the future and the way it distorts today, but it's the past. So sometimes we'll hear people, and sometimes maybe this even creeps into our own hearts and minds. We're like, y'all, why do we keep talking about racism so much? We live in 2022. I don't, I don't see any Klan rallies. There aren't any Japanese Americans being put in internment camps. We don't have migrant workers coming from Central and South America who are being lynched, right? Like, why are we making such a big deal? All that stuff's in the past. Time being distorted. But not just time, it's us ourselves. Time corrupts and distorts us. Evil isn't something that just exists outside of us. It gets into us. It gets into our lungs. It gets into our soul. And we find ways that we resist the very invitation that God has given us. We actually find ourselves as the church working against the grain of God's wisdom, hesitating, resisting his invitation and opportunity for us to participate in filling the world with good things. I look at verse 2 in chapter 5, and I see this invitation for us to walk in love, and we know we should love people, but are there not times in your life, in my life, in our life together as a church when we hesitate to love and to act now because the conditions for our obedience aren't perfect? I mean, if I do love them, but if I love them, they... they they might think that I'm okay with the way that they live. If, if I do that now, then it's going to be risky. It's, it's going to be inconvenient. And in doing so, in our hesitation, in our willingness to obey, but God's going to have to skyride it. Jesus is going to have to show up himself in bodily form and put a hand on my back and move me along. And while we wait for that to happen, we forget that we are the people in this world, that God has said, me and you and you and you and you and you and all of us, we are and always will be the collective keeper of our brothers and sisters living as image bearers of God in this world. So what we see here is an invitation and an opportunity, a challenge, yes, but an invitation, a reminder that we as the church should be the people in this world who can step out and encourage and like Jesus in these crowds, improvising because we have spirit-soaked imaginations, we take risks in the name of love for the sake of God and others. But y'all, we're not going to do that. We can't do that unless we are reminded of what God has made available to us. So let's remember to take risks, but let's also remember what's available to us. When I look at verses 15 to 18, I see three divine gifts that God gives to us. Wisdom, discernment, and grace. We are the people who can and should take risks. If we're going to do that, we have to remember wisdom. Verse 15 invites us to live wisely. And we live wisely when we partner with God to put a broken world back together. That's wisdom. 
Wisdom is, in the Hebrew scriptures, the, the word is chachma. The blueprint of how the universe is organized to fill the world with good. Wisdom is an attribute of God. A God who fills the world with good and amazing and wonderful things. We do, verse 15, we live wisely when we partner with God to fill the world with good things by being the people who do what's right and make things right, which sounds very much like the prophet Micah. We are the people who do justice and love with mercy as we walk humbly with God. Remember wisdom. Remember discernment. Verse 17 says, don't be fools. Don't act foolishly. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The language of wisdom and foolishness takes us back to a garden. Wisdom is God filling a garden with good things and saying, if you want to enjoy an experience and live wisely, do this and don't do that. And here, Adam and Eve, who act foolishly in distinct ways, but show us how we also sometimes act foolishly. Eve taking matters into her own hands. Adam sitting on those hands. And sometimes, as we've said, foolishness looks like both. Foolishness looks like missing God's plan to fill the world with good things, choosing instead to try to make things happen in our own strength, in our own ways, or we resist and we hesitate the clear invitation from God to love people around us by taking risks. What verse 17 says is that we can discern, we can know what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus does not want us to do everything. But as we saw in chapter 2, verse 10 and following, there is a particular set and part of the work of God that has been given to this church. That's what we want to do, yes? Right? We don't want to do anything more. That's not ours. But we don't want to do anything less. We don't want to do anything else. We just want to do this. And the question is, how do we know what Jesus wants us to do? What risks does he want us to take? Now, we can have a conversation about how discernment is a, is a habit. It's a posture. It's a way of being that you and I can cultivate over time. We practice, we work at it, we get better at it. We're, we're now better able over time to know what Jesus wants us to do under this present set of circumstances and in this particular situation. Textually, underneath all of that is this. We know what Jesus wants us to do. We know the risk that Jesus wants us to take as the Spirit of God fills us with grace. We take risks that are clarified by wisdom and discernment and empowered and animated by grace. Remember wisdom. Remember discernment. Remember grace. These are all gifts of God. Verse 18. Now in verse 18, in this English translation, and in the original text itself, you will not find the word grace. However, I would submit that grace is the very thing that the Spirit of God fills us with as a church. Let me explain. First, let me say this. In verse 18, when we see towards the end <clears throat> to be filled with the Spirit, I think a more precise translation would be to say that 
we are to be filled by the Spirit. One of the reasons I say that is because when you make your way through this letter, we've already been told that we are filled with Jesus. That's in chapter one. In chapter three, we're told that we have been filled with all the fullness of God, all the love and all the power of God himself. Now, when I hear that, I immediately think of grace. My best understanding, and I believe it holds up biblically and theologically, is that when we think about grace, I understand the power of acronyms. I don't have a problem necessarily with saying grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, that it's God's unmerited favor, but underneath it all, I think the substance, the stuff, grace itself is the loving, empowering presence of God. The loving, empowering presence of God that we read and come to understand through the scriptures that is ours in full when we become part of God's family. Here's what's cool, y'all. The loving, empowering presence of God has been given to us fully. As individuals, yes, but as a church. Meaning that from the inception and to the conclusion of Fellowship Bible Church, we will always be full of grace. God's love in its fullness has been given to us. The power we need to be the people of God has been given to us in all of its fullness. God is always present, closer than the air that we breathe. And it's that grace that's been given to us that empowers us, empowers our risk-taking, clarifies what God wants us to do through wisdom and discernment. The gift of God for the people of God. So you pull all this together. And Jesus is reminding us here this morning, remember, remember that you're my people who were made to take risks, taking courageous improvisational risks in the name of love, doing what's right and making things right. For Jesus' sake and for the sake of others, we do that clarified by wisdom and discernment, empowered by grace. Remember, remember the risks. Remember to take risks. Remember what's available. And remember where the Spirit shows up. That's the last thing I want you to see. When you look at verses 18 to 21, I think one of the things that should encourage us is to know this, that as we try to figure out what it looks like for us to be God's people in the world, that we can walk into a room like this and we can be encouraged that the Spirit has filled us with grace, that the Spirit gives us wisdom and discernment to know what Jesus wants us to do and gives us all that we need to go and do that. Let me first off say that God's grace is not limited to rooms like this. God's grace is not limited to public worship gatherings. God's grace literally shows up in a thousand ways and places, all over the place. His loving, empowering presence around us, inside of us. It's an amazing thing. But in all the ways that God works, let's not dismiss both historically, for a long, long time, across cultures and generations, and in this church over 40 plus years, that God's grace shows up powerfully and consistently in places like this. I think there's a reminder here that Paul wants to bring to the Ephesians and he wants to bring to us. The contrast, I think, in verse 18 between alcoholic inebriation and being filled with the Spirit is a contrast in public worship. 
You have the Ephesians who have been invited and culturally the practice for the community around them was to worship gods and goddesses like Dionysus and Artemis. And that would involve, well, alcoholic inebriation. But Paul's saying, if you want to experience the the depth of connection to God, the love, the power, the presence of God himself, the grace of God himself, then it shows up in places like this. So maybe what we need to hear this morning, at least part of it, is a reassurance that God is on the move, that God is with us, that God loves us, that God is strengthening us. He's equipping us with everything we need to be his people in the world, to go and to take the risks that he gives us. And I don't know what those risks are, y'all. I'm pretty sure it's not the kind of thing that we sometimes think. I don't think it's inherently for us going, hey, uh, the entire church is going to move across an ocean because there are a lot of people that need to know Jesus. I don't think it means we're supposed to take all of the money that God's given us and give it all away. I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means, I think the risks look like for your family, for your men's group, for your women's Bible study, for a home group, for a Sunday community, for our church as a whole, I think it just means that we make our way through ordinary everyday life and we see people who need to be loved and we go and take the risk to love them. But one of the ways we know that we can is when you walk in a room like this and you see people encouraging each other as we sing songs, praises to Jesus with our whole heart. We're reminded that we can be people who take risks because you are in a room filled with people who are doing what it says in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything across a spectrum of emotions. Sometimes that's celebration, sometimes that's lament. Underneath it all can still be a sense of thanksgiving. God, you have not abandoned us. God, you still love us. God, we are weak, but you are strong. Even when life is hard, even when our hearts are breaking, we find that we're able to take risks together when we're in a room like this, where we are willing and able, out of reverence for Jesus, to receive the gifts of other people. See, gathered worship is not a one or two or ten person production that people come and do and, and other people come and just receive. This is participatory. We know that because we were singing. Sometimes we know that in preaching because sometimes there's talking going on other than just the preacher. It's a reminder, never pressure, but it's always an invitation that you and your gifts and your perspective and your emotions and your feelings and your words, they all matter. So even in a room like this, where you might feel anonymous, my best take on what mutual submission looks like in a gathered worship is a group of people who make space and desire other people's presence and gifts and songs and voices and hands raised and maybe even a fist bump, a high five, a hug if we're daring, whatever it might be. This is what we're being reminded of. The Spirit shows up in a room like this. The Spirit has and is and will show up in rooms like this. God's grace, his wisdom, his discernment is ours. So we, as his people, can be gutsy, can wing it, 
as we figure out what it means to take risks for the sake of God and others. All right, so now what? Now what? Um, Honestly, I'm pretty curious about what has your attention. Hmm. What's grabbing hold of your mind, your heart, your imagination? The hopes, the fears, is it the risk-taking? Is it the, these gifts that God's making available to us? Is it the possibility of, of what this room and what we do here might hold week in and week out? I, I hope that over time what we'll see is that God uses this word in the way that he uses the scriptures week in and week out. Every time we open it, he uses it to change us. That we find over time that we are, as a, as a church, as a community, we are becoming more like Jesus and taking risks for the sake of others. I hope that happens. But y'all, my sense is, my sense is for this morning that before we go and do the thing, that what we need most in this moment is to hear and receive God's invitation to rest as we remember. To not automatically activate our planning and our plotting and our scheming and our 27-step action plans but that we might come and say, okay, let me take a deep breath. I'm just here to remember that I'm part of a church that can and should take risks. That I'm here just to remember and to settle in to the beauty of the fact that God is giving us all that we need to take those risks. He's making us wise. He's making us discerning. He's given us his grace. That what he wants for you and for me and for us as a church this morning is he, he wants us to rest as we remember we are not in this room by accident. This room is saturated with the love of God, with the power of God, with the presence of God. This isn't like chasing lightning bugs where you have to go after and grasp it. You just rest, you breathe, because that grace is closer than the air that you breathe. So even as you pay attention to your breath for a few seconds, that's grace. And ultimately, I think that God's brought you here so that you might hear and receive his invitation to rest as you remember Jesus. I'd love for you to, to um, take this vial, hourglass, this um, package that's been prepared with love to help you to enjoy God's grace. And, and if you're online and you have access to, to, to bread and grape juice, then, then go for it. But I, I'd want to say this if you're online, that we don't believe that the blessings of God are limited to time and space. So, so whatever good thing that God intends to give his people in this room as we enjoy communion, I trust that he can get that to you as well, wherever you are. But 
And maybe you can help me with this, right? So we're, we're, we're here, and, and we're, we're invited to remember Jesus. And so I just want you to, I don't want you to do that. I just want you to, to rest, and I want you to remember in, in your imagination, allow the grace of God, his love, his power, his presence to begin to permeate your mind and your imagination as you, as you remember Jesus riding into town on a donkey. The king has come. Remember Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem because his his brethren, his, his kinsmen seem hell-bent on choosing a path of destruction rather than trusting in the way of peace. Remember Jesus clearing the temple. The ultimate prophet of God calling foul against the injustice of God's own people. Remember Jesus gathering his first wave of disciples and washing their feet, sharing bread and wine, a reminder of God's past liberation and the hope of something even better to come. I hope that you'll take up God's invitation here and now to rest as you remember Jesus hanging on a cross, wearing a crown of thorns, a Roman torture device is his coronation throne. As the universe discovers, and we remember, that because of Jesus, his life and his death, he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the saving king. And y'all, this is when it all comes together. What animates our life together is this. Because Jesus is the saving king, we can take risks. We can take courageous, improvisational risks in the name of love, doing right and making things right for the sake of God and others because Jesus is the saving king. If we, if we wonder, how in the world are we supposed to understand the kind of risks we're supposed to take? Well, how does Jesus explain the risk that he takes walking, riding into Jerusalem, and going to the cross? Look at what you're holding in your hand. And remember that Jesus doesn't explain what he does with a theory for us to get our minds around. He gives us a meal to share with each other. You see, I don't want us to miss, as a church committed to deep biblical theology, that Jesus didn't die for us to get a proper set of ideas. Jesus died so we might live. And as we live, because he lives, we lean into a world where we give other people an opportunity to live as well. So it's my honor and privilege to invite you to eat and drink and to enjoy this meal that we call the Supper of our Lord, communion. Every single time that we practice this together, there are people in the room who, by their own admission, would say, I'm, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I've never been baptized, I've never publicly professed my faith in Jesus. I don't really have any intention of following him. Somebody invited me here, I thought we were going to breakfast, and now here we are. Maybe you would say you're a Christian, but what you can't escape is this. 
is that there are habits of sin that are so deeply embedded in your heart and soul that if, if, if you were to get a free pass and there were to be no consequences and nothing keeping you from leaning in and experiencing that sin, you would choose that sin over Jesus. It's that deep, that habitual, and you have no intention of pulling away from it. If those are the things that describe you and where you are this morning, we're so honored that you're here. You matter. We love you. But, but, but please don't eat this meal. Not today. I know some of you are struggling. You feel like your very soul has been swamped by sin that just keeps creeping in. But you don't want it to be around, but you can't seem to shake it. You have doubts that make you wonder, not just about church, but even about Jesus himself. And it might be that what you need today is not just something that you've done in the past. We're gonna do communion again today. For you, what you need, and I trust that God will give you wisdom, is what you need right now is you need to sit and you need to talk and to pray with someone. I'm so thankful that God's given the wisdom to people in this church to say, you know what we need? We don't just need a, a stage we, we do need a room for people to pray. And so if, if that's where you are, you're like, I'm just struggling. I have doubts. I want God to save me. I need God's help today. You're almost crawling out of your skin because that's where you are. You know you need that. Then I can just tell you in the back of this room are people who want nothing more in this moment to just simply be with you and to help remind you that you're loved and that you matter and that you matter. Not just among people here, but by Jesus himself. So whether it's now or any time before the end of this gathering, I want to encourage you to just go back there and just sit with someone. Hey, my name is, I'm having a hard day, having a hard season, having a hard life. But I will say this, that your sins and your doubts don't disqualify you. And what you might need, even if you are here and you go, I'm a terrible Christian. <laughs> I might be the worst Christian. Then maybe what you need now more than anything else, even somebody praying with you and for you, is to enjoy this meal with us and to let your Savior come close and to allow the grace of God, his love, his power, and his presence, even in this very moment, Continue a work of healing and wholeness that I believe God will not cease to persist in as long as you draw breath. God intends to heal you and make you whole. What that looks like today is up to him, but he invites you to join us. As I say to everyone here, to all who have received Jesus, to all who would simply trust in his saving grace, to anyone here who has said through baptism, through public profession of faith, God's grace and mercy have saved me. I have been, I am, and I will be freed from the, liber from the oppressive power of sin. I'm liberated. I've been forgiven of sin's guilt. I have been adopted into God's family. I am a son. I am a daughter. I am loved to the moon and back. I have a role to play in all this. Somehow, someway, I'm part of God's church. I'm part of his risk-taking family. And I'm scared to death. 
I don't know what this looks like. I don't know if I can do this. But here and now, I'm trusting that as I eat this meal, that maybe God will help me. So whoever you are, wherever you are, all of us together, remember Jesus. Come with me back to a room much smaller than this with a lot fewer people than this. As Jesus took bread and giving thanks, he broke it. And he said this, this is my body broken for you. Eat now. Remember me. Eat with joy. Receive God's grace. It's for you. In the same way, Jesus took a cup filled with wine And he said, this cup, which our family for generations has shared and enjoyed for so long, this cup ultimately reminds you that I will always be with you, that my love for you cannot be broken. Because this wine, my blood, will be spilled to make you mine. And no one and nothing can change that. So drink Drink deeply, drink with joy, remember Jesus. The sounds of grace, God loving you and loving us, empowering you, empowering us with us. We have one last song to sing and the text we, we sat with this morning invited us to something very specific. To encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We encourage one another. It's not like we're saying, hey, Bob, Jesus paid it all. Sally, Jesus paid it all. But what we're saying is we sing to Jesus, thankful that he paid it all. We encourage one another. So we sing loud. We sing big. We sing confidently. We sing as people full of grace. But before we sing, I'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you and for you one last time. Almighty and ever-living God, thank you for feeding us with this meal Thank you for giving us this moment where we are reminded, where we experience, where we hold in our hands and we take into our bodies such a powerful reminder of your grace and your blessing and your goodness. And so we trust that you have given us exactly what you want to give us and exactly what we need to rest and to lean into being your people in this world. We trust that we now have what we need to take the risks that you want us to take with the wisdom and discernment you have given, with the grace that surrounds us 
and courses through our, our, our bodies and gets all the way down into our souls. We pray this through King Jesus, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory both now and forever. Amen.